I'm Michael. I'm Michelle. And this is The Climate Crisis. You say children shouldn't worry. You say, just leave this to us. We will fix this. We promise we won't let you down. Don't be so pessimistic. And then, nothing. Silence. Or something worse than silence. Empty words and promises which give the impression that sufficient action is being taken. I wonder, what will you tell your children was the reason to fail and leave them facing a climate chaos that you knowingly brought upon them? That it seemed so bad for the economy that we decided to resign the idea of securing future living conditions without even trying? Our house is still on fire. Your inaction is fueling the flames by the hour. And we are telling you to act as if you loved your children above all else. That was Greta, the power, very powerful voice of Greta Thunberg talking from Davos yesterday. And um, today, talking about this and other things, we have Professor Richard Hill. He is an adjunct professor at the School of Human Services and Social Work at Griffith University, as well as an adjunct professor at Southern Cross University. He's the author of 14 books on criminology, social work and education. He's written for The Australian, The New Matilda, Arena Magazine and The Conversation, amongst many others. And perhaps he's best known for being the convener of Nagara Institute, which is known as the activist think tank, but locally it's known as politics in the pub and it's very popular. Welcome, Richard. Hi, Michael. Hi, Michelle. Yeah, so look, I just want to go back to Greta there Mm, for a minute. mm. Um, What is going on? I mean, you're a professor of social sciences. What is going on that we have a 16-year-old girl in a tracksuit (laughs) basically giving moral direction to the most wealthy and powerful people in the world at Davos. How did we get to this? Mm, It is remarkable, isn't it? Mm. And she's remarkable. And uh, she's become a phenomenon in whichever way you care to think about it. Um, Made the front page of Time magazine, I Mm. understand. Time person of the year. Yeah, yeah, Time, yeah, that's right. Most influential person. Yeah, yeah, is that right? Yeah, Mm. that's right. Oh, look, I can, I can imagine when she stood at Davos, I'm sure that uh, Trump witnessed what she had to say and other people did. We saw in an earlier venue that Scott Morrison did the same. Mm. And um, I'm sure they're saying to themselves, how dare she? Mm. You know, she's saying, how dare you? And they're saying, how dare she? You know, this young upstart tell us adults, mainly males, mm. in positions of power, how, how what we should be doing. Um, after all, we are doing what, um, you know, the public think we're doing, which is not very much, you know. Which is uh, what she's pointing out. Which is what she's pointing out, yeah. So she's embarrassed these people. She's embarrassed corporate leaders, political leaders, the economic elites. Um, and I think she's done a fantastic job. Well, you know, she stands. She stands on the steps outside the Swedish Parliament. I understand. Uh, gets noticed. You know, um, becomes the trigger for a movement, um, and they're a global movement of a global movement of kids. It's most extraordinary. It's extraordinary, yeah. and actually, they're leading the fight. Yes, and this is why people are so irked by her. They can't stand the fact that there are elements of civil society which are now so 
organized and opposed to what is the organized violence against the planet and each of us mm. that they can't bear the fact that it's being led by a young woman she's offering an alternative voice but i think what she's become more than anything mm. is the great disruptor and the great discomforter mm. she's discomforts people mm. because she speaks plainly echoing our sentiments and saying how dare you do this to us mm -hmm. how dare you do this to us mm -hmm. particularly the corp the corporate heads of fossil fuel companies and politicians mm. look I, I i did listen to trump's speech mm. after you said that you'd listen to it yes i did and, and i look I mean, just a pure visceral experience. I felt like I needed to have a shower afterwards. And, <laughs> yeah, and yeah. Um, I mean, I'm not joking about that. Yeah, I, like yeah. uh, like 90% of what he said was just out-and-out mm. lies, mm. you know, mm. this blue-collar um, uh, boom that he's talking about mm. in America mm. just is plainly not mm. happening. Mm. So, mm. so most of the things he said were just obviously not true. Mm. Mm. And then there was Greta's voice next to it. Mm. It, was, mm. it was like... Truth versus lies. I mean, mm, I know mm. that's maybe too extreme a point of view, mm, but that's mm. how it felt. Mm, and mm. I feel, I think people listen to this and they don't know what to believe anymore. Mm, 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 mm. Well, and that's partly, uh, partly the the doings of the likes of Trump, you know, mm. and, and others who've you know spoken about fake news and post truth and all this business. Look, folks, there are truths in the world. There really are, you know. Um, there, there are contingent truths, as my friend says, but there are certain things which are true. And um, and I think that what Greta has actually dragged people towards and embarrassed people in so doing is the truth about what is occurring in terms of the climate emergency mm. and she's discomforting people um, of course what's happened recently with the fires which I'm sure we'll move on to mm. is that um, Ross Giddens this morning in the Sydney Morning Herald actually described it as Australia's Pearl Harbour Mm. It's the moment at which, you know, the nation has been shaken collectively to its core where it no longer cannot act. The problem is, of course, uh, for the government, I won't talk too much about the Morrison government because I do believe that they are quite irrelevant to what's going on, um, is that they are, you know, like kangaroos in a headlight. They, they really don't know how to position themselves, mainly because they are being led by the nose by the, the far right, by a small gaggle of the far right. Mm. Um, but Morrison him, himself is part of that that particular cluster of people mm. so look <clears throat> if, Gre if Greta's purpose on this planet has been to focus more worldwide attention on the climate emergency she's done it if her purpose has been to encourage young people to organize themselves in mass global protests she's achieved that just walk
Um, Richard, we were talking a little bit about Greta there mm. and, you know, this whole right versus the, the left war that we're in. And certainly we're in a time where neoliberal right-wing governments are getting elected the world over. Boris Johnson, Scott Morrison, Bolsonaro, Trump, and, you know, perhaps more to come. Mm. Uh, I, I'm just curious, I suppose, about how, about what is going on in the world that we shifted that way mm-hmm. when it would seem like from any logical perspective that we would need to be shifting the other way. To fully understand how neoliberal, neoliberalism became the dominant ideology across many countries uh, across the world, we have to look at both social, cultural, political and economic dimensions of that system. Mm-hmm. As Naomi Klein has pointed out in her book On Fire, we have to look back to the origins of this system. The origins of capitalism um, has its roots in colonialism and empires. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a racialized form of capitalism Mm -hmm. and its driving motive is profit maximization. It is no surprise, therefore, when we fast forward to today, yeah. that even faced with the most <laughs> egregious threat that we can imagine to human organised human existence, mm. that corporations are mm. still belching out carbon, mm. um, producing nitri- nit- nitrous oxide, mm. um, emitting methane into the atmosphere at, at the very time where we need a global mass response to prevent the very, very worst. So would we be better off if we were like New Zealand and we had our own Jacinda Ahern and bipartisan support for climate emergency? Yeah, yeah, there, there are. There, there are some wonderful leaders around the world making every effort possible. There are countries around the world, um, you know, um, taking fairly radical action. Um, my personal belief mm. is that that action may be too late, okay. that we're entering another era entirely. Uh, I've called it the post-Anthropocenic era. And um Look, and what I want to make clear to everybody who's listening to this is that when I talk about entering this new era, I'm not being necessarily a, a, a doomsayer. I'm not saying it's the end of the world as we know it. But I think what we need to do at this point is to take a deep breath, have some conversations about what is before us, what is the science telling us, what are the scientists telling us, and then respond accordingly to that. You know, one of the things that I find most fascinating Mm. about what's going on currently in society, Mm. and, and, you know, to your point, Mm. is that there's this massive disconnect between what the scientists are saying and what Mm. the politicians are saying. Mm. They're having two entirely different conversations Mm. here. What we've got in this country, particularly Australia, but it's, it's, it's not the only society in the world, is a, is a lethal combination of cognitive dissonance. It's a terrible cocktail of cognitive dissonance and ideological zealotry. Mm. Now, the, the question then you have to ask is, why on earth would you carry on with this self-defeating behaviour? I mean, I was, I was just stunned the other day that Morrison actually said something about, oh, yes, we'll do what we can on the environment as long as it doesn't impact the economy. <laughs> now, 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 go figure. I mean, but, but this says something about the level of understanding yeah. amongst the political elites, yes. and it's really disturbing. In this Pearl Harbor moment, people are now being confronted with the realities of the climate emergency, which are now being played out. Mm. And and this, people often refer to it as a wicked problem. Mm. The consequences of this, we have no idea fully what they are. You know, we, we talked, didn't we, the other day about the disconnect between the bush and the metropolitan centres and the cities. Mm. And how 
how at one stage the sense was for many people living in a city that this was a problem of burning trees out there in the bush in a distant yeah, hinterland in the mountains mm. but the smoke has come into the city mm. yeah. in canberra it was 60 times more than the hazardous level mm. now and people are obviously going to say, as they're putting their gas masks on, they're, they're going to be saying... I think we've got a problem. What's going on here? And yet, as you know, we spoke a couple of days ago, and, and yet, uh, you know, Gold Coast is one of the most... looks one of the most likely to go underwater in yes. these times, yes. along with Miami, but yes. property prices still booming. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Look, the property prices in Miami are going through the roof. You know, this, this people want to live underwater. People, people love it. Here. <laughs> they love it. Yeah. You, you, you get a free swimsuit when you buy a house you know, or an apartment. You know, it's great. Yeah, yeah. But look, this is the cognitive dissonance and 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 the mixture with ideological zealotry, which I'm talking yes. about, mm. and commercial interests, which are making for, for these bizarre decisions so, to, if you're coming from mars and if you looked at what's going on you'd be going christ how come the governments of this world and the key leaders the key drivers whoever they might be are not getting together immediately overnight to, yes. tr to try and have a global agreement to turn this around yes it is look yeah. my view about that yeah. it is proving yes. almost impossible well i would say it is impossible we'll we'll go down but we'll go down with a pumping economy richard <laughs> <laughs> crisis Richard and you've said in your uh, in your opening you wrote a piece about what's coming up in Nagara and I'm going to quote you here saying it's become terrifyingly clear that the massive global transformations required to turn this mess around are unlikely to eventuate on time and then you go on to say that the damage has already been done and it's irreversible in the time in the given time frame needed and I know there's some people, and I get this feedback as well, uh, that will say, well, that would make you a doomer. 
and for what purpose would you say something like that and doesn't it undermine people's efforts to change and how do you live with a message like that and how do you live with a message like that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, look, it's, um, it's a very profound question and it's a question that none of us really want to face but mm. we're being compelled to face it. Um, I can't believe I'm having these conversations. I can't believe that I sit in cafes around Mullumbimby, as I do, and I talk to people who genuinely believe that we are heading towards a total catastrophe. Mm. And as a friend of mine refers to it as the great unravelling of our world. Mm. Um, And all I can do, all I can personally do as a citizen, I'm not a scientist, I can just rely on the evidence that I see, Um, I interpret that, um, I interpret them in the context of my own belief system, obviously, and my own values, um, and I make an assessment about what I hear. Um, and I listen to people like the very eminent Professor Peter Carter, mm. who was at the COP25 conference in Madrid recently, begging, pleading to world leaders to do anything in, in, the, in the narrowing time available to us to actually bring about some form of change. Mm. Now, that's, that's a scientist. He's a scientist who is actually reviews the papers for the IPCC reports, refereed, peer-reviewed papers. Mm. Now, um, listening to those people, listening to the evidence, understanding that in terms of parts per million carbon were a level which is equivalent to s- several million years ago, um, that... Um, the level of emissions, carbon, greenhouse gas emissions are rising as we speak, and Australia is a contributor to that. The political will of the world's leaders seems to be at best partial um, and some places compromised, uh, some places like Australia utterly deceitful and immoral and bordering on the evil. Um, bordering on. That, um, <laughs> Stepping um, into, yeah. And, uh, I was listening to a professor the other day from Tasmania who actually said that there's all this talk about hope and we might be facing the tipping points. He says, we have punched through the tipping points. Mm. We are beyond the tipping points. We're in another realm. Many people are saying this. Yeah. So what we're seeing now is the effects of feedback loops and multiplier effects. Um, And they are going to play out in ways that we have no idea. And we will face many ugly surprises into the future. Mm. Our world... Our human physical geographies will not be the same as they are today. They're already transforming. The idea we can set up small, discreet little nirvanas, which are going to be safe because we'll all be growing each other's vegetables, is a problematic one for many people around the world. In some areas, that may transpire. There'll be millions of people moving to other countries to seek safety and security, food, shelter, and water. So we are in a incredibly precarious situation Mm. and we need to face up to that and everything I'm saying none of what I'm saying denies the capacity and willingness of people to protest to organize to agitate as we must not out of hope necessarily Mm. but out of moral and obligation Mm. and duty Mm. that this is what we need to do it's the right thing to do Mm. to simply rely on hope um, uh, philosopher, um, a, a one of my favourite theorists. He's a literary theorist, uh, 
Terry Eagleton, from, uh, an English academic, now works in America. In his book, um, Hope Not Optimism, he rages against certain forms of hope, ideas of hope, and he refers to them as being mon a monochrome glaze, that, we, that they just put a glaze over mm, everything, mm. but the substantive reality and the nuances which we're having to face aren't revealed to us. What we need to do now, I think, is some what Buddhists might call equanimity. We need to stand back to think about how each of us is going to respond, how we're going to live in our communities, how we're going to relate to our neighbours, to our friends, what we can do practically as a community to respond to what's coming. And what's coming is not going to be pleasant for, mm. e for any of us, but the world will be reconfigured. And it's going to be such because even if we stopped emissions today of nitrous oxide, of methane, of carbon, which we can't and the, we won't. Which we can't and we won't. The yeah. stuff is now locked in up there yes. and the effects are playing out. So we, we have to respond to that new reality. And it is a new reality. And mm. it's, it's the great unravelling of the world as we know it. you mentioned in facing this new reality mm. is it's also an opportunity for reinvigorating life and rebuilding civil society so absolutely you could share on that yeah look one of the responses i get when i talk like this is that i feel like one of those guys who walks around the street with a sandwich board saying the end of the world is nigh you're not the only one with that sandwich board we've had a few of them on our show oh, have you <laughs> and uh you know most respected scientists are wearing the same one i know i know yes, anyway. we'll be locked it's up <laughs> Uh, look, um, my view about that is um, that I was going to use the word opportunity, but it's a very, it's a very kind of corporate speak type word, isn't it? Yes, it is. But I do believe that one of the most important things that we can do now is to seek to turn back the most um, awful damage that's been caused by neoliberal capitalism, and that is the dismantling and weakening of civil society yes. and community. Yes. Um, I have referred to neoliberal capitalism uh, at its centre as being a violent worldview. Mm. And it, it, it is so because at the centre of it, it believes that you and I are not 
collaborators we're not it's a sharing we are competitors mm -hmm. now when you when you play that out and you think about it mm -hmm. it's an incredible incredibly violent worldview where you end up with the collateral damage of what donald trump might refer to as losers you're either winners or losers in this system it, it, we shouldn't be living in that kind of world yes and it's interesting because mm. i read a paper by a survivalist who said that cooperation and kindness are the survival skills we need that's absolutely so right it, it's not about how can you survive in the bush it's how well you can relate in a social and cooperate because we're yeah. going to survive this yeah. together that's right and climate scientists building like that are saying the three things we need mm. food water obviously shelter mm. <laughs> helps uh, food water and community we need a supportive community i think what we need to have conversations about we need to take a breath and to see where we're at we need to have conversations around how we can rebuild relationships how we can exercise new relationships how can we build more effective localized democracies which are truly representative and allow people to have a voice how those who are going to be hardest hit the poor and the marginalized how they can be included in these conversations and decisions that need to be made we also obviously need to support those people who are still pursuing as they should regenerative practices and restoration practices i fully support those and as i support political activism mm. and i fully support for example extinction rebellion mm. we shouldn't stop right to the bitter end we should not stop mm. that kind of activism you know as you say right to the bitter end mm. and i know that you're someone that does actually see what's coming very clearly mm. you don't necessarily hold a lot of hope for mm. what's happening mm -hmm. and i'm interested in the personal response your own personal response to what's going down and are you living any differently are you making any different kind of choices yes, mm. yes i am um i don't see the future clearly at all mm. I, I, I see it through a terrible fog and um, I don't know what's coming um, but I know that the world's not going to be the same for, for myself and, and my son um, and his, his kids they will be inheriting a different world absolutely what we're seeing now though is the escalation of what already is a hyper emergency situation mm. so i don't know how things are going to unfold you know in terms of the potential for collapse for chaos and the rest of it we're seeing warning signs of that if you read the the, the literature recently the imf report for example urging the reserve bank of australia if things get really uh, shonky uh, and difficult to actually consider the potential for purchasing you know the um, coal-fired power stations yes. and buying out some of the fossil fuel yes. companies yes. um they didn't fully ex spell out what that meant look but at a personal level at a personal level um i do not accept the proposition that even if we are you know heading towards something that's radically different to what we know that we should be full of misery and despair i i, I am not full of misery and despair i'm mm. full of i'm full of joy i'm full of optimism about the capacity of people to build communities to build good relationships to build local mm. democracy so let, let me just tune into this yep. just um when you say you're full of joy mm. how could you be full of joy at a mm. time like this can you just open that up a little bit yeah, because what it's done for me personally is made me appreciate and realise what's important in life. Mm -hmm. uh, sounds a cliche, but I've now, I look at how I live my life. I'm making decisions about how that life should be lived, mm -hmm. where I invest my energies. I invest much more in my friendships, 
mm. in my partner, in my son, um, and I intend to build on those into the future. Look, in, in many ways, um, they're the things we always should have paid attention to. Um, and unfortunately, things like mm. consumerism mm. and material values got in the way. Competition. So true. Richard, thank you so much. Such a pleasure, uh, such talking, a pleasure to talking, talking to you. you. And look, congratulations on this program. I think it's a really important space for conversation about what's facing us. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you, Richard. Song, weeping willow, blooming